Say the word poltergeist and images of movies instantly come to mind. From the little girl next door, whose house harbors malevolent entities, to depictions of supposed true stories that show victims writhing in agony, almost solely controlled by evil unseen forces. But in the town of Amherst, Nova Scotia, in 1878, these happenings were very real. Having been witnessed and documented by many well-known locals, the case that involved a 19-year-old girl even became the subject of a book. The Great Amherst Mystery, as it became known, is one of the most terrifying cases of poltergeist activity to come out of Canada. And questions still linger today regarding the source of these strange events. Be sure to stay tuned till the end where we feature the band Sharwall in this week's Musician Spotlight. Thank you for joining us on this installment of the Supernatural Tendencies podcast. I'm Alex. And I'm Christy. And this is episode 15, The Amherst Poltergeist Mystery. Located on the shores of the Bay of Fundy, roughly 40 miles southeast of Monken, New Brunswick, the quaint and quiet community of Amherst looks like any other small town. But over 140 years ago, the core of religious beliefs in the community would be deeply shaken. Esther Cox was no different than any other young lady at the time. She lived a rather quiet life, consisting of daily chores and looking after her sister's two small children. Living a communal life, Esther shared a home with her married sister, Olive Teed, her husband, Daniel, and Daniel's brother, John, and siblings, Jenny and William. Nothing that could be deemed out of the ordinary had ever happened in the overcrowded house, or to young Esther in particular. That, however, would soon change. It was during a reported outing with a local named Bob McNeil that Esther found herself in the midst of a sinister attack. But instead of paranormal entities, the young woman found herself the unwilling object of McNeil's sadistic obsession. McNeil, who was a well-known shoemaker in town, had a reputation of being contemptuous and shady. Unaware of his disdainful demeanor, Esther soon found herself in a dangerous situation after agreeing to join him on a seemingly innocent jaunt in the country. Having been nearly raped by McNeil, Esther escaped barring only minor physical injuries. However, The ensuing mental trauma she endured gives speculation that this event was the catalyst that started the supernatural activity that followed. Times were hard in the late 1800s, and many locals were given to taking in boarders to help pay the bills. The Cox Teed's home was no different. Walter Hubble, a part-time actor and budding writer, joined the already overcrowded abode and would be present at the onset of the Amherst Poltergeist mystery. It was Hubble who would later pen a book detailing what he and many others witnessed in diary-like form, and its contents are enough to make even the sturdiest man tremble with fear. It was during one quiet winter night, after the members of the home had bedded down, that screams from the bedroom of Esther and young sister Jenny cut through the night. 
At first thinking a mouse was under the blankets, the two girls watched in terror as the moving form grew in size before their very eyes. A search was conducted of the room and nothing was found. Begrudgingly, the girls returned to their room and attempted to put the episode behind them. The very next night, more malevolent activity occurred. Once again, the members of the household were awakened, as both Esther and Jenny were certain that something was under the bed. After removing a box of fabric scraps from beneath the bed and placing it in the center of the room, the box flew up into the air, came down, and rested on its side. After the girls returned the box to its original placement, it once again levitated into the air, sending the girls into a screaming frenzy. Were these events the result of an unseen paranormal energy, or simply the product of the girl's imagination? Given her recent encounter with Bob McNeil, one could certainly understand Esther being in a heightened state of anxiety and fear. Any mistaken opinion of this activity being made up was extinguished the very next night, and this time, the attacker meant business. After complaining of feeling ill and with fever, Esther retired to her room early in the evening. At approximately 10 p.m., Sister Jenny also came to bed. A short time after, a shriek of horror came from Esther, awakening the family once again. Leaping from her bed to the center of the room, Esther was seen tearing away at her nightclothes and throwing herself about the room. Struggling to light a lamp, Jenny watched in helplessness as Esther's skin turned bright red and her body began swelling up. My God, what is happening to me? I'm dying, Esther cried out as both Jenny and older sister Olive returned her to her bed. It was then that Esther began choking and struggling to breathe. The other members of the house could only watch in horror as the poor girl continued to swell and her skin, now hot to the touch, grew more and more inflamed. Screaming out in excruciating pain, Esther's eyes now bulged and her normally thin body now felt as though it might literally burst. Suddenly, from beneath her bed, came a sound like thunder, a mighty bang that caused the entire room to shake. Three more deafening crashes followed, and it was only then that Esther's body slowly began to return to normal, and she entered into a state of deep sleep. These events were repeated four nights later, and as in the first attack, Esther's torture ended with the loud booms heard coming from under the bed. The girl's family unable to find a source of the terrifying events, sought the help of a local doctor to examine Esther and rule out any potential disease or affliction that may be related as a cause. Upon entering the girl's bedroom, the good doctor was privy to an astounding sight. Esther's pillow was moving beneath the weight of her head, and nothing could be seen as being the source. Three loud noises from beneath her bed followed, and the doctor, as well as other members of the family, witnessed Esther's clothes being ripped from her body and flung across the room. And it gets worse from there. Hearing what sounded like scratching above the girl's bed, onlookers were horrified to see the words, Esther Cox, you are mine to kill, in letters nearly a foot high etched into the ceiling plaster. Suddenly, a chunk of the plaster was torn from the wall by unseen hands and hurled violently toward the doctor, landing inches from his feet. Returning to the home the very next day, the doctor, as well as Walter Hubble and members of the girl's family, bore witness to potatoes being hurled across the kitchen. More thunderous bangs were heard coming from the roof of the house. Nothing could be found when the doctor and Hubble went to investigate. The group could do nothing as the activity grew in intensity and became even more threatening. 
Lit matches materialized from thin air and dropped onto furniture. Unexplained fires erupted on the property, and furniture seemed to have a life of its own. Moving, flipping over, and even slamming into walls, the malevolent force was becoming seriously dangerous. Silverware flew across the kitchen with such force that it stuck into the woodwork, and sewing pins were seen materializing from nowhere, only to jab themselves into poor Esther's face. Invisible slap marks were also seen developing instantaneously on Esther's cheek after the mysterious loud banging noises sounded. Seeking a release from the evil entity that plagued her, Esther sought refuge at the local Baptist church. However, as soon as the preacher began speaking, loud rappings and knocks overwhelmed the sermon, leaving the parishioners beyond terrified. Exiling herself away, Esther sought to relieve her family's suffering, but no matter where she went, the evil force followed, leaving Esther devoid of peace and a victim to the poltergeist force that consumed her life. Now living in the town of Sackville, New Brunswick, Esther fell ill with diphtheria and sought comfort at the home of another of her married sisters. During this time, no paranormal activity was reported, but upon her eventual return to Amherst, the attacks began again, this time becoming even more intense. Numerous unexplained fires once again began to occur, only now the credit was taken by a spectral spirit, who threatened to burn down the house unless Esther left. Nearly a year after the mysterious haunting began, in 1879, Esther found herself now living at the home of another local family, and the enduring attacks damn it. And the enduring attacks were being witnessed by more and more people. There were even accounts reported of locals conversing with the ghostly spirit by a series of questions and answers coming in the form of rapping sounds. In a particularly disturbing incident, of Esther being stabbed in the back of the neck by a clasped knife, held by phantom hands. Although some believe the attacks to be a hoax, concocted in some mysterious way by the girl herself, most were sympathetic to her plight and offered support to her cause. Soon, news of Esther's victimization reached the ears of investigators in St. John, New Brunswick, and in late March, Esther was taken there to be studied by a local group in the interest of science. It was determined that the girl was inhabited by more than one nefarious spirit. Through a series of knocks, the men were able to communicate with a ghost named Bob Nickel, who claimed to have been a shoemaker in life, and another spirit who identified himself as a relative of Esther's named Peter Cox. Unable to offer Esther any relief to her attacks, she returned once again to the home of her sister Olive, and sure enough, the attacks as well as the unexplained fires continued. Fearing the home would be lost to such fires, the Teed's landlord threatened the family with eviction. Again, not wanting to cause further problems for her family, Esther found work on a nearby farm and moved away. But her attempt at evading her spiritual attachments failed, and after a fire destroyed one of the farm owner's barns, Esther was tried and convicted of arson, which carried a sentence of four months in jail. Fortunately, Esther was only required to serve one month before being released, and there even seemed to be a silver lining to her time spent out of the public eye. Her poltergeist attacks soon diminished and eventually ceased altogether. Esther went on to marry twice and passed away at the age of 53 in 1912. Her story, however, lives on, thanks to Walter Hubble, and is chronicled in his book that bears the name of this perplexing case. The Great Amherst Mystery published after Esther Cox's death, 
remains an enigmatic first-hand account witnessed by over 16 people who gave signed affidavits that verify the happenings as fact. So what was the source of this malevolent haunting? And even more mysteriously, what caused it to end? Gummy fruits. You start eating while we're recording. But these have vitamin C in them. Oh, is that why you're eating them while we're recording? Well, you know, sometimes you just need that little vitamin C boost. (laughs) And I was feeling low in vitamin C, and I thought, well, there are gummies. Okay. Um, I guess it Do you not want me to be healthy? Is that what this is about? I wish you would have done it before we started recording. They have vegetable juice in them. Oh. (laughs) How do they taste? They're really good. Do you want one? I don't want. I wasn't one, gonna no. get really give you. I just you know because I only curious. got one pack left. Yeah, I've had like I've eaten a whole box in them in less than twenty four hours. Is it like a Welch's? Well, no, they're dollar store brand, but oh, okay. The dollar store is really up in their game. Oh wow! Because they even have gluten free stuff now. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. All right. So, um, I wanted to say this right off the bat because uh, a few episodes ago. I said this, that uh, you don't hear many stories come out of Canada, and now we have two within, well, I think it was Sid, right? Sid Hurwitz was in Canada? Sid was in Canada. So we found another Canadian story, and that puts the, what percentage of of American stories to Canadian stories now swinging pretty close in favor of Canada. So thank you, Canada, for answering my call to action. Thanks. I appreciate it. So today we have the Amherst Poltergeist, and you had brought up to do this as a topic. Yeah. So have you had heard about it before? Or did you just kind of stumble up, stumble upon it? Well, I had originally I just uh, stumbled upon it, but uh, you know I was really intrigued by there was a lot of information available with this case, and a lot of the older cases of well, and you know anything concerning anything paranormal, it's really hard to get a detailed analogy of what happened, you know, to the story, and so surprisingly, there's a lot of information detailed about this one so it was like you know right off my spidey senses were like ooh, yeah okay so let's let's um let's condense this story real quick so essentially esther cox lives in a house with a bunch of folks in it right yeah family members they take um, in borders they take and- in tenants and stuff like that at the time mm-hmm. uh which uh by the way i want to point out that of all the museums I go to, remember our conversation with the museums I go to? Oh, yeah. And things in the museum have to be haunted because they're older, like 200 years old, so they got to be haunted. Mm-hmm. See, in my mind now, I have a mental block that if things are 200 years old and they got to be haunted, like, this is where it started. In Canada specifically? No, or? not in Canada, just this time period. In the Cox household? What Possibly, now that we read this story, but wow. just in this time period. So, wait, I'm just curious. So, it, it, with your thinking on this, so say you were going to move into a house that was uh, 100 or whatever years old would you not move into the house because it's okay it's it's 100 years old it's got to be haunted man it's got to be a special house for me to want to move into if it's 100 years old wow yeah like 1970s is like i don't know i was born in the 70s what do you mean 70s i know but like 10 years prior were the manson murders oh my god i'm just saying it just bugs me out so let's keep moving so um oh my chair is all noisy today so uh esther cox lives in this lives in this house with a bunch of people. bunch of people. Mm-hmm. 
And um, essentially, that was kind of like the going thing at the time. Yeah. That's not really out of the norm there. Not not anything out of the ordinary. Uh, But then she goes on her little trip with Bob McNeil. Innocent little ride in the country, supposedly. Yep. So Mr. McNeil kind of strikes a fancy with her and decides to try to jump on the opportunity of being in this country ride. Right? Yeah. To which it was not reciprocated. No. Okay. She did not want to have anything to do with it. No. She was nearly raped. If not for like a passerby, like a buggy that passed by, kind of spooked mm-hmm. McNeil. So he took her home, which should rightfully should have been like an awkward ride. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Right? Just so what are you doing next week? Mm-hmm. I mean, and you and you know she was just probably just like spitting nails. You know what I mean? Well, she went home and cried. I'd have probably clubbed him like a so, baby seal. I'm so just maybe saying. it's just my my misconception of what. 1800s 1850s women were just kind of sitting in silence well not yeah calling this guy every every name in the book well that but that wasn't socially i mean like women were second-class citizens yeah, during but still this time. that's i mean maybe you that's know just... and, and and i'm sure like if it would have came down to um you know a he said she said thing they're gonna the authorities are probably gonna believe the man more than they would the woman well i guess that's that's the product of the time and i'm yeah, product yeah. of my time which would make that situation a lot more ugh, uncomfortable to deal with before she got home, which is probably why she cried herself to sleep. So we tell that story, like we said in the narrative, as a possible start. Trigger point that might have to the, started to the, all this. The activity, yeah. So we've kind of, I don't think we've really delved into it before, but we've kind of alluded to it, at least scraped the surface of poltergeist activity being connected with specifically younger girls yes now usually that's though, a norm now usually though we see it during um pre-adolescence like, like puberty puberty when right? puberty hits now esther cox though was around 18 or 19 19 so correct. she's she's well into sexual maturity mm-hmm. right yeah but this experience could have like scarred her triggered something psychically that's the idea right because a poltergeist and again this is our second case like we did with mr keith linder where in my mind before, the poltergeist was not so much like a spirit, just a moving of objects, a thing of trickery, you know, opening of cabinets, slamming of doors, which is usually different than like a spirit I, or an apparition. Exactly. Right? And that's what I think is weird about this case, because when it starts out, it seems to be a poltergeist kind of activity. But then as time goes on, it morphs into all of these various spiritual these ghosts coming in. Yeah. And and all that. Yeah. So this really is a mystery. Yeah. If yeah. we're trying to categorize something, we're give if I'm gonna give it a full go and I'm not gonna pick everything apart, right? I we do kind of have to pick apart the fact that this isn't categorized as a portergeist or a spirit. It's again another another one of these hybrids that for some reason we seem to get ourselves into. Yeah. So the reason why that's important is like we said, the whole idea of a poltergeist a lot of times we see and i'm sure you've seen some type of internet video at some point seeing that a salt shaker moves and falls off the table or like a chair doors a chair moves out or a door moves which isn't necessarily a spiritual thing the common thought today is it's something that maybe you are doing unconsciously unconsciously subconsciously Mm -hmm. and this tends to they they kind of see like especially with like the enfield poltergeist um which we have not covered revolved around like younger prepubescent mm-hmm. girls yeah. right something in in the psyche of of 
hormones and spirituality with the younger girls transitioning into a sexual maturity. This energy is gives them this energy pull created right? and this is how it manifests effectively out effectively making them Jedi's. Oh my god, that's an excellent analogy. Right? Mm. I I literally have not been this proud of you since you were like 11. Wow. I mean, what did I do when I was 11 that made you proud of me? I, I don't even remember now because this whole Jedi statement just kind of overshadowed that. Well, we're, we're here now. I'm going to live in it. Effectively making them a Jedi. A Jedi. Okay. So, but in this case, a right? A psychic Jedi. In this case, it's it's more than that. I mean, they're bridging the gap between a, a, a spirit, multiple spirits, and some type of evil entity. Okay. So it starts off with... The little thing moving around in their blankets, right? Yeah. So they first thought maybe it was like a mouse. Yeah. And it wasn't. And it was enough to frighten them out of bed, which kind of like calmed down. They calmed them down, sent them back to bed. Yeah. And then it slowly just, the activity slowly crescendoed to getting crazier and crazier and crazier. Yeah. Just over a matter of days, though. Yeah. So the, one of the, the mainstays of a poltergeist case would be the wrapping. The, 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 True, yeah. You know, coming somewhere. I probably should have done that elsewhere. Not on my microphone. <laughs> no, by all means, go ahead and do it. You yeah. know, I'm not even going to say anything. Because okay. if I sit a coffee cup down and I make a little ding. Yep. Guess who hears to, about it? I was trying to do the sound of it to make a sound I'll effect. start swearing at me and name calling. Well, either way. And so I was trying to make the sound effect of the, of the knocking noise, the rapping noise. Which we will come to here in a minute. Because that will kind of play uh, an important role. So we have things flying around the room. We've got we've got these tappings and, and knockings happening, and it's driving everyone crazy. And then, like, we start to see bigger and bigger things moving. More, yeah. So we More have malevolent. like, yeah, we have things slamming now. We have the couch moving across and slamming across the floor and slamming the personal against the wall. attack. She's getting jabbed with pins and yeah, face and slapped. And they seem to be materializing out of nowhere. Correct. Like it's just like, and then sticks into her face, right? Kinda. So then we get to the starting of fires. Yeah. Right? And this 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 ha- is happening. The starting of fires is happening. Everyone's kind of concerned. But no one's really concerned the f- about the fact that it could be her setting a fire. Yeah. So no one really questions it until the end of the story, which we'll get to. But still. So you have all this crap going on. And Esther basically says, all right, I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on, but I'm scramming for your guys' good. Mm-hmm. So she leaves. And this won't be the first time she leaves because she will come back. And every time she comes back, it happens again. It seems like it's that's a constant thing throughout Esther's life is moving to try to get away from this. And that just never. Well, it stops. Well, yeah. And then she comes back. And then it happens again back in Amherst. Yeah. So could one argue that it's it's the location, the reminder of what happened possibly with the trigger point? I, see, with I wondered that. Like, or maybe there are some. I don't know. But you know how sometimes like ley lines and things like that that are thought to, you know, be concentrated areas of some type of energy, electromagnetic energy. Can you explain a ley line? line? Well, ley lines are. No, I can't even think of how to explain it. Come on. Well, they're just bring it up. Not be able to explain it. They are. How do you say it? Uh, They are invisible lines that that go across around the earth that are thought to... I don't want to say too much because I want to do a podcast on oh, ley lines. Okay. Um, uh, essentially, um, a supernatural energy grid. That we don't yet, yeah, that we don't fully understand. That's vaguely scientific in nature, yet not proven. 
but you seem to see consistencies across perceived ley lines. Yeah. Okay, so we'll get into it later. Just know that. But they are thought to hold or be able to hold some type of extreme, be a source of extreme energy. So, I mean, again, I don't know, but what if that area is on an actual ley line that yeah. then intensified. So so say if you were in the next town that may not be exactly on the ley line, one could experience poltergeist or spirit activity just the same, except when it's in Amherst and on the ley line, it's the ley line magnified. amplifies yeah. the 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 activity. Okay. Correct. So you think that possibly could be. that's what I don't it is. Know. Okay. It could be. So there seems to be possibly a storm of things now do you have do you have evidence of it being a ley line or you no just no that I don't, i'm just saying that could be an, oh, okay. an analogy no one said or that. or no no one has ever i didn't see uh, uncover anything like that in my research okay but yeah i mean just one possible theory another possible theory would be the theory of when she was nearly raped by this mcneil guy that that somehow triggered this event to happen so then is it a matter of okay this happened in amherst Right. Yeah. So while anytime she's in Amherst, maybe unconsciously, she's causing these things to happen and then she leaves the town. Okay, so now she is away from the area in which this traumatic event happened. Yeah, That's all I was saying. So maybe it's something like that. I mean, again, again, all theories of what this could possibly. Yeah. A source of trauma is 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 being thought of again yeah, like if when you she comes back. Fought in the in the Vietnam War. Yeah. You know, and then you go back over there, you know, of course you're going to be like, you know, you PTSD go back to Vietnam. is going to be like, yeah, you know, say after the war, you know, you just So you went to Vietnam and no, then you went I'm, back to Vietnam and no, I'm PTSD saying wars? if you were a Vietnam if you fought in the Vietnam War, right? And you went through all that hell over there. Okay, and then you come back here, you know, blah blah blah. Well, then at some point in your later life, you maybe go back to Vietnam. For whatever reason, maybe a vacation, who knows, whatever. Oh, we're going on vacation to Vietnam now? Well, no, I'm just, can you go he- with me here? I think it's this? a shaky analogy. Well, a little bit, but it's kind of the same thing. You know, maybe she's not realizing, though, the connection that every time I come back to Amherst, you know, this stuff starts happening again. Yeah. I think we've established the analogy. I think that was a poor one. I'm going I'm gonna to call up. you out I'm on a, that. I'm going to throw a coffee one. cup right at your head. It was a terrible analogy. Sorry for all the Vietnam veterans still, still I didn't there. say any detriment, anything detrimental. I'm just saying that, you know, they went through trauma uh, nearly being raped, especially during that time period where it's not like you can go and, you know, tell the police or tell tell someone to, you know, get some type of... Justice. Justice, yeah. Okay, so we've established that. So now, at some point in time, on one of the subsequent times back to Amherst, things get really out of hand, and she starts, like swelling up scratching herself she's getting turning physically red. hot to the touch turning red yeah um having seizure like qualities right mm-hmm. um on top of that they see the carvings on the wall with the quote which yeah. was what was it uh esther cox you are mine to kill there you go yes so now you have some type of physical manifestation of intelligence yeah aside from just tossing stuff yeah okay um so now we come to the theory that people seem to talk about with this and a lot with a lot of poltergeist cases would be that of seizures, right? Yeah. So then we come to when we come to the idea of epilepsy. Okay, now there's I see I had seen on on one site they gave a Venn diagram to kind of help explain the process of elimination or the process of, of at least inquiry about this idea. 
and that you have a larger circle being established people who have seizures, have epilepsy, who, who it's a clinical thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you have the smaller circle who have seizures, who experience supernatural activity. See what I'm saying? So yeah. it's, so obviously they, it is a clinical side of they have seizures, but there's a supernatural element to it. And not a clinical element. Yes, not purely clinical. In the middle of this Venn diagram is the possible link that people try to find between them. Okay. Now I could totally get on board with this. This seems logical. It seems mathematical. It seems scientific and clinical. Okay. The only issue is, is if this were the only thing if it were purely because you were epileptic, like all this was happening, I have not seen someone with epilep- epilepsy start a fire without knocking a candle over. True. Okay. I have not seen someone with epilepsy fully be able to carve into the ceiling or the plaster of the wall a phrase. Without the use of their hands. I, I shouldn't say that. I, sh- I should be more specific. You can, but then you know full well that you are faking the supernatural side of it. Yeah. And then you are, what, using your disease to pick up the slack of the rest of the story? That doesn't sound logical at no, all. No, no. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. Okay, I have epilepsy. I'm prone to seizures. I really want to pull a hoax. So I'm going to do all this other stuff. I'm going to set fires. I'm going to throw pocket knives across the room and somehow stab myself in the back. I'm going to make myself swell up and scratch myself raw. In hopes of a seizure that will happen to make it seem like I'm possessed. Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem logical. No. So that theory that does hold credence or hold water to me in some of these cases does not hold it when we get into these hybrid cases. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, So that is my first bone of contention with that theory. So we move on to uh, what's next in the story? Because I don't want to jump ahead. I'm getting ahead of myself. So next in the story is the doctor coming in yes right is it hubbard uh no i <laughs> hubbles hubble no hubble is the the part-time actor that ended up writing a book because he was a boarder in the oh, house and that's then he right. you know witnessed this he had a he was an, a part-time actor who had a, an interest in the supernatural things paranormal mm-hmm. so when this stuff started happening um which happened while he was at the house he decided to hey, I'm going to detail this and start writing down everything that happens. And then after her death, he compiled it all and put it okay. into book form. So what, I'm, what I was getting at, because I, I got the names mixed up, would be the fact that the Teed's household had come up with a way, using these knocks, to communicate Correct. with these spirits. Which okay? again is another thing, another uh, element to this case that is not... Um, Rele- often relegated to cases of actual poltergeists. Yeah. You know, poltergeists are not what we would consider an intelligent haunting. You'll, like you said, you'll have things slammed, things being thrown, energy being exerted or manifested. Yeah. But no communication going on. Yeah. So the Teed family had devised this way of communicating with this entity. Yes. And what they would do was they would use the Knox. One as for a, yes, two for no. They went further than that. Okay. They would use the knocks as an affirmation to stop. As in, they would start reciting the alphabet. And whenever the knock would happen. Oh, I see what you're saying here. Wherever the knock would happen is the letter of the answer. And then use that to spell out a word. Yep. And eventually a sentence. So they have a series of questions that they ask. And I believe this was documented in Hubble's book because Hubble began to use the same exercise with it. 
So here's a list of questions and a list of answers given using this technique with the Amherst Poltergeist. Question, have you all lived on the earth? Asking multiple spirits by this time they'd established that there's multiple spirits. Have you all lived on the earth? And the answer was yes. Have you seen God? The answer was no. Are you in heaven? Answer, no. Are you in hell? Answer, yes. Have you seen the devil? Answer, yes. So now we have, now for me, we've fully transitioned to this purely poltergeist-like activity. To entities that are cognizant, that are aware, self-aware. They're in hell, yet have the ability to be here. And to communicate. And to communicate. So there's so many facets of this that play into varying people's theology, the theological mindset of their worldview of how things work and how the afterlife may or may not work. And this is now so intertwined and confusing as to how this is happening that when that starts to happen, usually you have some type of trickery. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, the answers given, um, I should say the questions asked and the answers given is blatantly obvious, but goes to show that they're answers of the time. Mm-hmm. Their questions or inquiries are questions or inquiries of the time. Yeah. It aren't, there aren't really questions we would ask today. So I'm interested to know that if we had a time machine to go back, uh-huh, Sid Hurwich, uh, that's altering, not time traveling. If we had time traveling to go back to ask questions that we might ask today, what is your name? You know, what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. Compared to have you seen God or are you in heaven? The perception of these spirits, what, what would it change? True, true. Because not, because like I said, now it's made a one big tangled mess since now we've transitioned from this purely Jedi-like poltergeist activity into these multiple spirits. Yeah. Which obviously is changing if the carvings on the wall and plaster coming off is, is true. And there was, I mean, maybe I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here, but uh, there was a, a, a other researchers that looked at the case. Um, in particular, I think it named a Dr. Walter F. Prince um, that, that, detailed the case and really looked at it. And it was really in his opinion that it was Esther Cox conducting some sort of trickery, um, possibly in a disassociated state. So whether or not she was aware that she was doing all of this, um, you know, remains up for debate. Well, well, because that's that's the interesting part, because like we had discussed, like that's kind of the common perception of how poltergeist activity works that you're kind of doing it. Well, no, I think he meant more of a, she knew she was doing it like a, um, and she knew how to, how to do it. Like, have you ever heard of Munchausen syndrome? Yeah. Okay. Where the mother will make the child sick to By get atten- yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll make the child sick, uh, to get attention. Yeah. So it's like, they realize they're doing it, but they almost don't realize that they are doing it. Do you see what I mean? So do you so think like she, she was, was if there was some type of he, he was convinced that there was some type of trickery that she was doing, but that maybe she was doing it and didn't really fully realize she was actually d- doing it. Maybe like a split personality, I'm mm. thinking. So do you think it was totally malicious and intent? I I failed to see how even if you had someone I mean, I don't see how she would be able to do this, but 
um, where she is laying in the bed and you've got the bed surrounded. All these people are right there witnessing this. And you have the um, Esther Cox, you were mine to kill, being carved above her in the plaster. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. like even today, if you were trying to do a hoax with something like that by yourself, it would be hard to do. But especially in the late 1800s, it was like, no, come on. You know, this simple girl who, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I really find that hard to. But sometimes just, it's easier to cheat in simpler circumstances. I'm just not seeing that. I'm, I am I don't, I don't know. That's right, not well, my feeling on this case. Yeah. Let's, let's get to the last thing. And I don't think we actually said this in a narrative, but it is the, the capping point to all the activity, I guess. When she goes to, to jail. Uh, no, before that. Oh, oh. On June 28th, 1878, um, there was a sound of a trumpet heard through the house. Now, I don't know if it was like, or if it was like like Louis Armstrong, like. Louis Armstrong. Like, that something like that. That is the worst Louis Armstrong impression I've ever heard. I don't, I don't, I tried. I tried my hardest, okay? Wow. Uh, but they heard it all day until the evening, and then. A trumpet fell from the ceiling in one of the rooms. What? Um, apparently, like, nobody... Okay, first off, nobody saw it happen, but nobody had any trumpets around. Like, nobody played the trumpet. Hmm. Um, they were going to donate it, I think, to a museum in Amherst, um, but no one knows, like, what happened to it. What so happened I don't know if it was trumpet? just lost. So I just imagine them picking up the trumpet, like, oh, here's that trumpet. Is, it, is this anybody's trumpet? And like, no. <laughs> no. Anybody own a trumpet? Nope. Oh, maybe we can donate it to the museum because this. I know, like that's kind of odd. We're just uh, must be part of the this stuff that's going on. They might really want it at this museum. I'm just gonna go ahead and <clears throat> chuck it in the closet there, <laughs> and uh, we'll give it to them later. Chuck it in the closet. Hey, what happened to that trumpet? <laughs> thought I put it in the. Thought I put it in the closet. So that was uh, next to the bowling ball. That's where it was. That was the biggest documented thing to happen, and they say that. Uh, manifestations increased and stuff afterwards but that's when she actually moved out to the farm that pretty, caught fire pretty soon a car fell out of there <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm gonna i'm gonna pull this boom right now. i'm gonna pull this right now and it's not a family fen- family friendly pull but in dogma when chris rock falls out of the sky oh, yeah. and jay goes beautiful big titty women just yeah. don't fall out of the sky you know yeah <laughs> $250,000, uh, uh, well, what's that one car? Oh, uh, the Bugatti Veyron. $250,000 Bugatti Veyrons don't just fall out of the sky. Right here, into my backyard. So she ends up moving to the farm. And one of the barns catches fire, which is interesting because, like we said up until this point, most of the activity that, that happened like in Hamhurst, when she would move, nothing would happen. Until she moved back to Amherst. Yeah. And it would happen again. So this was the first, at least real big thing. I mean, it was pretty big. Burn a, burn a freaking bar down. Well, yeah. And it wasn't in Amherst. So this led to her getting... Threw her in the clink. Yeah. Getting accused of arson. Which, what, what did it say? It was a four-month prison sentence, technically. Right. But she only did a month for good behavior. Oh, well, lucky her. And then... I'm sorry, but that pisses me off. Why does it piss you off? Well, because, my God, the woman is shuffled around and fires and pin stabbing her and the neck and everything else. And now, guess what? You're going to jail. <laughs> like, 
I won't tell you what I want to say right now, but bleep me. Seriously, like really? (laughs) Oh, man. Why not? So she only goes for a month, though. And then she only goes for a month. You say it's so lighthearted. She only went for a month. In the late 1800s, prison or jail conditions. But she only went for a month. I don't know Canadian jail conditions. Stop your crying. Stop your crying. I don't know Canadian jail conditions in the 1870s. I don't Any know what they were like. Any jail conditions. Well, look at, um, was it Norway or Sweden today? Not not that bad. Oh, it's basically a spa? Yeah. I'm going for a month at that. There's like a maximum sentence you can do, like no matter what. They kick you out. <laughs> yeah, like VARS. Is it VARS from, um, shoot. It can't come back. From I don't know what kind of accent that was. I Surely not a Scandinavian or no, nor- Norway. Not even close. <sighs> uh, we'll have to cover that if, if it's in the death metal community with the uh, murder of Euronymous from Mayhem. You know anything about that? No. I'm going to move on. Okay. Because that's a big, long story. Um, so after she gets out of prison, effectively, everything stopped. I mean, she, she married a couple of times. What are you laughing at? Why are you laughing? I just, I just picture like the jail guys, you know, undoing her handcuffs and throwing her out, pushing her out the door, and going, "Yeah, don't think about what you done now, Missy, and get on out of here. I bet you don't make any fires anymore." I don't know where that accent what is that came accent? from. Apparently, that's how Canadians talk now. I don't like even a, know. It sounds like a nineteen twenties, nineteen twenties newscaster or a pirate. <laughs> I don't even know. But just him shoving her out the door. Yeah, I had enough time to think about what you did. Now get on out there. Kicks her right yeah, in the butt. Yeah, but we don't want to see you come back. You know? I don't know. Wow. Uh, so, okay, getting back to it. She gets out of jail and everything effectively stops. She marries a couple of times and then she passes away in 1912, which afterwards is when Hubble will release. Is it the Great Amherst Mystery is what it was called? Yeah, that's the name of the book. Yeah. So... What happened? What made it stop? What 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 do you think? Well, made it stop. What do you think made it stop? I don't know. I don't know. You know, and I wonder too. It just kind of popped in my mind that maybe I mean a month in jail. You know, especially during that time, I'm sure you like were alone. So maybe it was during that time that she. This sounds weird, but to where she didn't really have to worry about anything happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe just having that time to, I was going to say, like, connect with herself kind of thing. Um, I'm not following. I'm not sure how to say it. Like, uh, how to control it? Kind of, yeah. Mm. She like that, re- or like the jailer said, you know, she, she re- had a little time to think about it and thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't know. She realigned her midichlorians and then traveled to Tatooine. What the Pod raised for what a while. The act- Potterized? Pod raced. What is that? Never mind. I never, think you make these. Mind. I think you make a lot of these words up. Because I'm going to be on. I'm going to Google it later. This is what I want to happen right now. If you've lasted the entirety. That's goodbye in German. What are you doing? I didn't do that. Uh oh. <laughs> our our Google our Google voice just went off. They're huh. listening. <laughs> You said you you thought I made up the word, and Google is like, no, he didn't. He's speaking German, which I'm not <laughs> yeah, speaking no, he didn't. German. Which I'm not speaking German. What I want to happen is everybody right now who just heard what I said, 
about that, well, that phrase that she's questioning. I want you to inundate her by every social media platform you can. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I want you to email her personally. If you know her address, come here and bang wow. her door and explain to her how what I said makes sense. That's all I'm saying. There won't be one damn person that's going to respond to that because no one understood what that meant. I know one person who will, even though he may have some issues with the technicalities of it, he'll know what it is and he will explain it in the group. I can guarantee it. Oh, I bet you that's Jake. No, it's not Jake. Oh, okay. No, it's not him. So do you have anything else to add to this? Uh, Overall no, thoughts? No, I'm not going to add anything else because you'll have people emailing me and coming to my house and everything else. <laughs> do you have overall thoughts? Do you think this is real? Do you think there's any credence to it? I think this case is real. I most definitely think this case is real. And I feel so sorry for poor Esther. I mean, I think she really got... So do you think it was more poltergeist, more possession, no, more spirit? I don't think I don't think it was a poltergeist. Um, I think that it was... I, I think that her experience with... Uh, Bob McNeil probably triggered something and um, awakened her abilities. And I think that she, in short, became a channel for having these different energies come in and then not knowing how to handle it, how to control it. Yeah. Manifest into physical activity because she didn't know how to control it. That's my take on it. That's what I'm going with. Huh. Just running with it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I like it. What's your take? I don't know. There's just too many different facets of the story that seem to uh, like one up each other. Like I'm not saying it; it's not feasible. It's just like I don't. I don't know. There's too many things that yeah it starts to make sense and then automatically doesn't make sense anymore. Does Does that make sense? Okay. <laughs> yeah. You just dropped dead right there. <laughs> Clearly, oh, I can't talk to you today. <laughs> we <laughs> cannot agree on anything. Talk to you, so I'm just going to need you to <laughs> shut up. Okay, if you, either you're going to agree with me, or you're just going to zip it, because oh, <laughs> that's how it is. I don't know. I guess we just can't agree today. Just can't talk to you. I don't know. All right. Do you have anything else? Why you'll just disagree with it? Maybe. No, I think that's it. Actually, I, I just I think poor Esther got a bum rap. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Uh, We'll have to read that book. I didn't get a chance to actually buy it. No, yet. I didn't either, but I definitely would like to check it out. We have too, such so. short research times, like we said before, to get get a book in. Like, we had to be so far ahead. Yeah. And with everything else we've been working on, we've been kind of doing maybe two shows ahead, but still not enough time with our workload, with everything else, with the website, with the live shows. Because they're just busy, busy, busy. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, there'll be a time where we're far enough ahead that I can actually purchase a book, get it in, read it, and then apply it. Yeah. So, until then think that's it for this week what do you think uh it's good all right we'd like to say thank you one more time for hopping on board with us this week if you have any comments questions critiques or suggestions for new topics please send us an email at supernatural tendencies podcast at gmail.com we also encourage you to get over to our facebook page at supernatural tendencies podcast and go ahead and elbow drop that like button for us we're also available on Instagram at Supernatural Tendencies Podcast and Twitter at Weird and Scary, if that's more to your liking. Please pass us around to your friends as well, where they can find us on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and most other podcast platforms. And remember, if you're having any type of paranormal activity 
or extraterrestrial contact. I offer private coaching online via Skype or Facebook Messenger to assist you with those issues. Feel free to visit me at christyjohnsonsadler.com for contact information. Till next time, this has been Alex and Christy. See you later. And thanks for sticking around again for the Musician Spotlight. And finally, we got a little change. All right. The first few bands we've had, I kind of known, have connections with, um, mainly metal bands. Okay. So uh, we actually got uh, someone to contact us about their band called Sharwall. Hopefully I'm saying that right. I like this band. Sharwall. Now, Sharwall is, man, like a 70s rockish. I think they sound like the Doors, like okay. Doors-esque. Yeah. Yep, and when I first showed you them, you said what I thought initially too. It's kind of blues brothersy. Yeah, like right? yeah. It's pretty good stuff. Um, full member band. They have a keyboardist and and everything in there. That was our first band to actually feature a um, a keys player, um, two guitars, bass player, drummer. I think they have like a like a conga guy too. How cool is I that? I think so. Yeah. Uh, pardon me for my lack of knowledge. I'm actually on their website right now looking. Unfortunately, I don't see any uh, upcoming shows for them. It looks like they might book kind of in clusters, and they're all just coming off of their summer show list. Uh, they are from Columbus, Ohio, so they kind of get around the Columbus area, Zanesville, Ohio, Newark, Ohio. Um, and they have given me permission to use a song today. Um, check them out on Facebook. Um, I'm not sure if they have any songs up on Bandcamp or anything like that. Um, they do have a booking and, t- and contact. They do some covers too. So if you happen to need, I'm going to assume if you happen to need a cover band or something like that, they may be in line. They do just a whole slew of different genres that may interest you as well. But their original stuff is what uh, we're most into for this segment. Um, they gave me a song to use, and technically it's a YouTube song, so I kind of talked with them about this. Um, Hopefully I can actually rip that. Um, We're recording this beforehand. Hopefully I can rip the audio off that Um, for any subsequent bands. We prefer the MP3s, but whatever way I can get the music is great. YouTube quality videos are usually live videos, so it's kind of harder sometimes to know whether or not it's going to be a good quality, and I worry about that more for the bands. Not for me. If it's if that's your if you're cool with quality, then I'm putting it up. Let's do it. Um, but in this case, they gave me a YouTube video. It's got pretty darn good quality on it. So we could try to get it off um, with the some type of ripper. I don't know. But they have given us permission to use it. So if anybody has issue with the fact that I'm stealing it off a YouTube video, they've given me permission to do so. The song is called A Day Late and A Dollar Short. Let me relive my Blues Brothers days. Roll it. Thank you.
Walk out that door.